Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. I want to I give you two simple truths about how you see people. How you see Jesus affects how you see people. Now think about it. How you see Jesus affects how you see people. And the second one is how you see yourself, okay? Now, I want to take you to the Scripture. If you've, if you've got a Bible, if you've got uh, access to it there in your living room, family room, wherever you are streaming this, uh, try to get a copy of God's Word open to Luke chapter 7. And while you're turning to Luke 7, I just want to say thank you for those streaming today. Man, it's so good to know that, that you're there. And like I've told you before, I was there for many weeks, and it, it was a lifeline. And that's what we want this to be for you. We want it to be encouragement. So wherever you, wherever you are. And I'll tell you one thing. I want to make sure you get this. Jesus is wherever you are. He's right there in that room with you. He's right here in this room with us. And the reality of that in just a moment is going to become is very apparent. But let's start with the story. So, so Jesus is having to deal with the religious people of the day. He had his strongest words against the religious people, not the broken people, not the sinners. Now, they're all broken, but not those that were called sinners. He had his strongest words for those who were called religious because they kept complaining about everything. <laughs> they were always whining about something. And, and I mean, I just... I'm sure he said it, though it didn't get recorded. He probably looked at them on occasion and said, would you like some cheese with that wine? They just, everywhere they went, they're whining. They're complaining. And so he calls them out on it. In chapter 7, he, he uses this little story. It was actually a children's game. And he uses it because he was trying to say to them, you guys are like kids. You're like spiritual brats. You can't be pleased. You can't get enough or whatever it is. I just wonder if that's the church today. I just wonder if that's what Christians are, are about today is always complaining about this, complaining about that. Well, sure, we've got a lot to complain about. But, man, the way to fix things is not complaining. It's to be a solution. Everybody can point out the problem. And Jesus calls them out. I'm gonna, I want to get a little head start on the story that actually happens and I want to start reading in verse 33 of Luke chapter 7. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread, drinking no wine, and yet you say he has a demon. So he just says, you call John the Baptist demon-possessed. Now, the Son of Man, that would be him, has come eating and drinking, and now you say, look at him, he's a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in other words, we got polar opposites, John the Baptist and Jesus, and how they approach their ministry. And he said, and you don't like either one of us. But then he drops this line. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I don't know if you know this expression, but I grew up with it. The proof is in the pudding. How many of you ever heard that? The proof is in the pudding. All it means is this. You'll know by what it produces. In other words, you know somebody's a good cook when you eat the meal. When you see what happens to those who follow me, you will know 
that they are right. Now, that's us. You want to know what the greatest witness for Jesus on this planet is? You. You're the best billboard. I mean, you are a living billboard for him. And if we, we get upset because people aren't listening to the gospel, it might be because they've seen the gospel. And it doesn't match what they're hearing. So we got a chance to live it. And it starts with how we see people. So now read with me chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now this is right on the heels of that, that moment when he called him out. A Pharisee wanted to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet. She anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, <laughs> by the way, the Pharisee thought that. The Pharisee didn't say that out loud. But guess what? In case you haven't noticed, Jesus knows what you're thinking all the time. He knows what you didn't post, but you thought it, right? So he calls him out. He goes, hey, Simon, I got something to say to you. And Simon said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one's going to love him more? <laughs> well, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a story. A story of two people with Jesus. Now let me, let me give you a caution. In every gospel we have, all four gospels have a story of a woman anointing Jesus' feet. All four of them. I don't believe this is the same woman in the other three. I believe this woman is unique, meaning she's not one of the others. She's not Mary at Bethany, and she's not the others. We always try to figure out, well, who is this woman? Who is this woman? I can tell you who the woman was, sinner. That's all we know. But she was unique. She comes to Jesus and does something very unique. Here's what's interesting. Luke tells her story because Luke has a, has a really fun way to, to mess with you. As Michael Card, Michael Card is a singer who happens to be a great theologian. Michael Card said, Luke loves to contrast religious men who don't get it with women who do. 
And here's a perfect example. Okay, now watch this. We got two people there that day. One sat in this chair. One sat in that chair. Every one of us in the room and every one of us streaming or listening to this are sitting in one or the other. We're sitting in one of these chairs. The only question is, which one? So the first chair, the woman, a sinner. The second chair, Simon the Pharisee. Now, you got to hand it to the Pharisee. He was pretty bold to ask Jesus to come to his house. Isn't it cool Jesus goes to his house? You see, Jesus is friends of sinners, the religious ones as well. So let me tell you about Simon. We don't know who he is. There are eight Simons in the New Testament, eight of them. And we just don't know which one he is. All we know is that he's a Pharisee. Well, what do we know about that? I can tell you two words that describe Pharisees. One, posers. It was all about the image. It was not about substance. They were hypocrites. In fact, if you want to read what Jesus thought of the Pharisees, read Matthew 23. Matthew 23, you just make a note of that and try to remember it. Jesus absolutely lets the hammer down on them. I mean, he is so to the heart of who they were. He says everything they do, they do for show. It isn't about the true heart. Second thing we know about them, they were elitist. They were better than everybody. It didn't matter who they were with or what crowd, they were better so can I, I can tell you that day he thought he was a lot better than she was. In fact, he looked down on her. Because when you have that elitist mentality, you tend to do that. So here in this, here in this moment, there is this Simon the Pharisee who is not even getting it with Jesus. In fact, let me show you. He condemns both Jesus and the woman in one sentence. Verse 39. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. That she is a sinner. Now, here's what he's basically saying, and that is, Jesus, I don't believe you're a prophet. I don't believe you are who you say you are because if you were, you would know who she is. And you would not allow her to touch you. Well, guess what? Simon didn't see it. You know why Simon didn't understand that woman, didn't see that woman? Because he didn't see Jesus. He didn't understand Jesus and get it. Simon couldn't see her because he couldn't see Jesus. He thought he saw everything, but he actually saw nothing. That may be describing you. But let's go to the other chair, the sinful woman. Who was this woman? We really don't know. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her other than that the Scripture calls her a sinful woman. Most would argue that she was probably a prostitute. I mean, it's just a safe call. She was a woman the city knew, and so she was probably a prostitute. I got a question. I want you to do some research for me. All right? Research this and email me your answer. How did Simon know so much about this woman? <laughs> just a thought. 
Let me know what you think. So let me tell you about this woman. This woman had had a previous meeting with Jesus. This wasn't the first time. And I'll prove that in just a second. You know who I thought for a while? In fact, I still think it might be her. I'm just going, this is wild. This is way out there, okay? But I got a brain tumor, remember? So I can blame anything. Is it possible that this woman is the woman of John chapter 8 that the Pharisees brought to Jesus when they caught her in the act? And you remember Jesus looked at him and well, he wrote something in the sand, and I don't have a clue. It doesn't really matter what he wrote in the sand. It's what he said. If you're without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. Remember, nobody, nobody threw they all just began to drop those stones. And then Jesus looked at her and said, where are your accusers? And then the most beautiful words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Could have been her. Time-wise, it could have been her. Now, we don't know. I'm just throwing this out. We don't really know. But here's what I believe. She came to Simon's house that day, which was a bold move. I mean, it was gutsy just to walk in that Pharisee's house. And it's not unusual for when there's a meal at a home for them to leave the doors open. It was kind of the, the way that they would do that in those days. She walked in that room to try to say to Jesus, thank you, and how much she loved him. And here's what I think happened. I think when she walked in, she lost it. She began to weep. Now, they weren't sitting in chairs like these, okay? I know you're thinking of the dining room table. You know, they're sitting around the table. No, they didn't sit like that. Their chairs were actually a pad, and they would, they would recline. That's why the word recline, you see that word often. They would literally, most time, prop themselves up on their left elbow, and then they would eat with their right. And so they're kind of laying down. I would do that for you. To show you, but it'd take me the rest of the time to get up. So I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to let you imagine it. So they're, they're on their elbow, and they're, they're eating, which means their feet were kind of to the side. Now, here's what I think happened. She walks in, and when she looks down and sees him, she loses it. She's got her alabaster box or an alabaster vial. It could have been either one. And she's got the ointment ready, but she sees him and she begins to weep profusely, weeping so much, literally her tears hit his feet. And then she gets down on her hands and knees and with her hair down, she wipes his feet with her hair. And then she just kept kissing his feet. And then she took the alabaster box and she broke it or the violin and she poured everything out. I mean, we don't know exactly how she did it, but she poured the contents out on him. Now, let me tell you, the reason I believe that was a spontaneous moment is because that was all wrong. It was against tradition. It was against everything. In other words, a woman was never to let her hair down. The Talmud, which is a, a, a document that is basically the Old Testament law plus commentary, taught that if a woman's hair was down, she was a prostitute and she should be stoned. 
It also taught, the rabbis believe this, that if a woman lets her hair down in front of any man other than her husband, it's like exposing her breast. A woman would never let her hair down. And yet this woman wasn't ashamed to do that. And that alabaster, we don't know what it was. It wasn't olive oil as what you would normally use on someone. It was something very precious, probably given to her as a child, or some people have supposed that that was her earnings from her living. And she bought this in order to give it to Jesus. Can we just say that what she did was extravagant, what she did was unbelievable, and Jesus honored her. Now, follow me. He did not forgive her sins just that day. Watch this. I'm going to put two verses up, and I want you to see. Verse 48 and 49. When, when she does this, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little, and said to her, Your sins are forgiven. If you read that just on the surface in English like we have it, it looks like that that day her sins were forgiven. Meaning, because of what she did that day, her sins were forgiven. Which would mean then, if you want your sins forgiven, go do something. That is never the basis of forgiveness. Never. And I want to show you, I apologize for the, for the Greek. I apologize for the grammar. But tenses of verbs mean something. Okay? They mean things. Watch this. When he says to her, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. That is an aorist tense verb. Aorist is past tense, a point in time in the past. So whatever was going on, she had already had an encounter with Jesus, and he had forgiven her sin. This is past tense. This one, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's not past tense. That's perfect tense. It is the verb. I mean, it's the tense that means your sins are forgiven. Forgiven now and always. They stand forgiven. So the point is this. What she did, this act of love, was not to accomplish forgiveness, but it was her response to it. You follow me? It was not her way of trying to get the forgiveness. She already had it. It was her way to respond. So many times we walk in this room or we stream the service and we engage in a moment like this. I don't want you to ever do it just hoping that that's going to get your forgiveness. No. I want you to do this because he's already forgiven you. The cross has already happened and on the cross he covered your sin once and for all. And so in response to that she did this. So here she is, experiencing the extravagant love of Jesus and forgiveness. And I just believe that when you have experienced that extravagance of Jesus' love, you're compelled to love him back that way. And can I just tell you, every one of us have experienced the extravagant love of Jesus. That's how we ought to love, just like this woman in this moment. The second thing I said was, how we see ourselves affects how we see other people. Because, see, if you see yourself as better than everybody, you're never going to be a light and shining in the darkness. You're never going to be a ray of hope. 
Because you're better than everybody. But if you see yourself as a sinner that has found grace and mercy, you're going to want to tell the world what he's done for you. And it changes everything. So you know what Jesus does? He tells them a little story. He looks at Simon and says, Simon, I got a story for you. There were two debtors. One of them owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50. And the people, that, the person they owed forgave them both. So which one do you think is going to be the most thankful and loved the most? And, of course, Simon says, I suppose the one to whom he gave the greater forgiveness. In other words, the one who owed the most. And Jesus said, you're right. Now, let me pause right there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, okay, so Simon would have been the 50, and the woman was the 500. So that works great, doesn't it? Nope. I got news for you. None of us in this room, none of us streaming this or watching this or in the 50, we're all in the 500 club. Your sin cost Jesus his life on the cross. Don't ever cheapen it and think it was less than somebody else's. It took the same blood of Jesus to forgive your sin as the biggest reprobate in this city. There's no 50. They're all 500. Jesus would use that to show the difference and to illustrate how much we have been forgiven. Both of these guys are sinners. Both of them are debtors. And all of us have fallen into that same place. So don't think for a minute, well, I'm in the 50. No, you're not. Nobody's in the 50. We're in the 500. And there are two questions i got to ask you. Number one, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I mean, it's what Jesus asked. Simon, do you see this woman? Now, I know you're thinking, well, she was there in front of him. He couldn't miss her. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was saying, did you see what she did to me? And then the second question that we've got to answer is implied. It's not stated explicitly, but it's implied. Here it is. What did you do for me? What did you do? You saw this woman. You saw what she did. What did you do? And you know what he told Simon? He said, Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me water. And this woman has poured her tears out on me. Simon, when I came in, you didn't kiss me. And yet this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, when I came in, you gave me no anointing. This woman has anointed me with that alabaster box and its contents. In other words, Simon, you did nothing. Nothing. And you might ask the question, well, why would that be? Because he didn't see Jesus. And he didn't see himself. And when I say seeing yourself changes the way you see others, you see your brokenness. You see what he has done for you, and it changes what you want to do for somebody else. So what if Jesus were to walk in this room? What if physically he were to walk in this room right now? What would we do? If he were to walk in your home, if he were to walk right up next to you, wherever you were streaming this at this moment, he were to just sit down right next to you, what would you do? I know we all get kind of cocky and think, oh, well, I'd tell you what I'd do. I'd fall on my face and I'd praise him and I'd do all this. 
Well, I'm glad you feel that way, but I got a question for you. Is he here? Yeah. So whatever it is you answered you would do, why don't you do it? He's here. He's right there with you sitting on the couch. He's in your home. He's there. We live as if he's not anywhere around. He's with us. And so the same love that she showed him, we have opportunity to show him. Because we've been forgiven much. Therefore, we ought to love much. Here are the lessons. Real simple. We're all huge debtors. Every one of us. Your sin was huge. Don't ever cheapen your sin. You say, yeah, but I've never had the wild life and all that. Well, that's great, but you were going to hell. And it took the blood of Jesus to cover your sin in the same way it took the blood of Jesus to cover your wild friends. We're all debtors. And the only way that that debt could be paid is what Jesus did for us on the cross. It was through the cross that our debt has been forgiven. Amen? Can I get an amen? Our debt was forgiven through the cross. It's done. No matter how bad, how big, it, it's done. And because we have been forgiven much, the third lesson is simple. We ought to love much. Because we've been forgiven much, we ought to love much. So let me go back where I started. Which chair are you in? You know what's interesting? Both of them were in the room with Jesus. Am I right? Pharisee was just as close to Jesus as she was. It's just he was in the room, but she was at his feet. Let me tell you where we belong. At his feet. It's not enough to be in a room. We belong at his feet when you realize what he has done. The greatest sinner in this story is not this woman. The greatest sinner in the story is this guy. You know why? The greatest sin is to be forgiven so much and loved so little. There is no greater sin. There's no greater offense than to be forgiven so much and love so little. May we never love little. I don't know why. When I was in the hospital, I mean, there was a lot of time just laying there. And as I said, you can only watch so much HGTV. And there were times I would just be there and I... It would just overwhelm me what he's done for me. And I made, a, I made a promise. I just had a little conversation one day with him. I said, Jesus, you have been good to me. And Jesus, I will never love little because you have loved much. If you get me through this, now this wasn't one of those deals I'm working out with him. You get me through this, and I'm going to love you with everything I got because you love me that way. So I got a question. Did he love you that way? Is that how he loved you? Are you loving him that way? 
In fact, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song that just said, Jesus, I love you. I know it's just a song, but it's a place to start. Our lives are literally a song. It's how we live every day that says we love Jesus, but you got to start somewhere. And so I'll give you an exemption. If Jesus has never done anything for you, if Jesus has never done one good thing for you, then you don't need to sing this song. But if Jesus died for you on the cross to cover your sin and to save your soul, you ought to be the first one to stand up and to sing, I love you, Jesus. May we never love little. Father, in this moment, would you allow us to express our love? Would you allow us to do as this woman did and to pour out our love on you? Lord, it just changes the way we live. It changes the way we see people around us. So Jesus, today, we love you. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.